Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes known as Shuggy Two Shits. Shuggy. Coming to you from an undisclosed location far from the downtown metropolis area of the city. Very far from the downtown metropolis area. I'll never disclose. <sighs> Who cares? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who really cares? Uh, today's episode... <laughs> is the last of our Ladies of the Canyon part of... No, what am I... Yeah. Today, yeah, sorry, I, I jumped ahead. Today's episode is the last of our Ladies of the Canyon theme where we take a look at, so to speak, take a look, get it? Take a look. Take a look. A uh, very sexist comment. Uh, <laughs> at the women who moved to the Laurel Canyon part of Los Angeles to write... And make their music. And today, Robert... Oh, something's going to happen today. We review not only one of the greatest selling albums of the 70s, but one of the greatest selling albums of all time. I've heard that. In fact, there are stats to back that up. Many stats. This thing doesn't work very well. I'm using my phone for a timer. And every time it goes into black, it stops. So it makes it harder to keep time. Yeah, why would they call that a stopwatch? If it doesn't actually function as a stopwatch. So I guess we might not be... Oh, we'll see. We'll see. It'll work fine, I'm sure. Um, where was I? Ah, <laughs> oh, the, the ladies of the oh, game. Oh, one of the greatest selling albums of all time with Carole King's 1971 album, Tapestry. Or as I used to call it, Tape Street. <laughs> this episode is also our man. Did I have the flu last week or what episode? Because I had a case of the flu that not only canceled our scheduled taping of this particular episode, but made it difficult for me to shower or brush my teeth without feeling that I had just run a marathon. It was evil, Rob. <laughs> It was a punch in the head. It was a punch in the head type of virus. And uh, Rob, have you ever had the flu, as the kids call it? Not recently. I think I did when I was a kid. And that's when I heard it called the flu by kids. <clears throat> Jeez, I did. <laughs> yeah, keep Sometimes doing it. Sometimes I just, I, I know, I, I always tell myself I shouldn't ask me It'll be okay, I'll open that door again one more time. Oh, geez, same thing again. Yeah, yeah idiocy. Close yeah. the door. <laughs> yeah, the, the door to idiocy, yeah. And um, it, it will open again, for you do not learn. <laughs> <laughs> Until you learn, uh, grasshopper. Now, we took our scheduled week last week. We took our scheduled week off last week. Okay, That's when we because yeah. of sickness, which is bullshit to me. Yeah, because I spent we don't get a week off. It wasn't a week off. It was a week of, of me being weak. <laughs> yeah, <I'm not> <laughs> instead of enjoying week. the week. Oh, week so week. this week, this gets confusing. We have to work four weeks in a row now. No, after this episode, we have to work. So it's we're working week. five weeks in a row. Uh, and, Do you know uh, what that means to me? But for you, <laughs> it means nothing to Rob. But for you listeners, it still means that there is no new episode next week. It will be in two weeks we will have a new episode. But we will be working next week. It's too complicated to, to think about on the overall picture. Just think that next week for you people. Yeah. There's we, no episode. If we could just do it and send it out, uh, you know, just uh, we we do that. But it, it, it takes yeah, send it up by mail. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll mail it to people. Send it up by mail. We wouldn't have to work. Just have the words on the envelope. You want one of these? <laughs> Here you go. Okay, now that everybody's totally confused. <laughs> Almost now, I am confused, and I had it wasn't at all before. Suffice to say, the scheduling will be as this. So, how was your week? See, I'm asking Rob a oh, question, which is again. which is really wrong, but this is what I do every week. Rob, how was your week <laughs> while I was sick with the flu? It was very pleasant. I uh, didn't work. I mostly um, played computer games and uh, didn't pay too much attention to the passage of time. Oh, man. <laughs> like, seriously. Like... That'll never be a good one. But the thing is, they always get worse, don't they? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it see, the problem, the, is, the problem is, the problem is, is that you're good on like the second half of the show. The second half of After the show. After I've warmed up and got my brain going. Yeah, well, you, when it comes to the record part and blah, 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 you, you, you it, it's like, it's like you're, uh, nobody can beat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the first part of the show, you can be beaten. Everybody easily. can be. Yeah, you can be. <laughs> you're, you're begging for a good beating. <laughs> oh man! So, so there's no odds and ends. Uh, lost time is not found again this week because were you not listening? I had the flu. <laughs> yes, that's wake up, people. Come clean, on, clean the wax out of your ears. <laughs> Next time, which will be in two weeks. One week for us. I'm not going to get into all of that. On the planet Zortox. <laughs> I will have tidbits for you for odds and ends, but not this week. I, I had the flu. Were they not listening? They were not listening. I had the flu. So, uh, repeat, none this week, some next show. But not next week, because we're... Forget it. <laughs> I know you are already listening to the gardening show, but don't, because it's actually a really good episode today. Who knows where we'll be next week. What do you, what's that mean? It is completely meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, William Don't B. Don't talk William. unless, I, unless <laughs> I ask you something, William B., okay? Okay, so today, are you ready, Rob? No. Yes. Today, we are going to have part two of... Papa, don't take no mess. That's true. <laughs> Brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> it was sorry. I was. I'm having trouble with this phone and the timer. So if there is a uh, some leakage of phone silences, phone? it's because uh, this thing's pissing me off a little bit. Don't worry about the timer. I got the time over here. Yeah. Yeah. We got way too much time to kill. Uh, this is gonna be a short, short show. Shut up. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's time. But yeah, I like to do it again because I love that. So today we're gonna have part two of. Papa, don't take no mess. I love that. Um, and last time, where we were talking about the Eagles, I think this was in part one. Yep. One of the most popular bands of all time is also one of the most reviled bands of all time. <laughs> I wish I was reviled as them. Oh, you will be. You might be already. At least by me, you are. Uh, <laughs> it takes a lifetime. I've even lost the timer now. I don't even know where it is anymore. So anyways. Eight minutes. Go, go, go. Uh, last episode, we got about halfway into my dissertation about the Eagles before we ran out of time. So if you didn't hear part one, go back and listen to last week's episode, You Heathens. You should have listened. Like, you should listen every week. Like, if you missed an episode, that's your fault. Well, we shouldn't be doing these two-week continues. They should be standard. I didn't mean it to be two weeks. Did I say that it was going to be two weeks when I started it? No, you completely surprised me. Mm -hmm. I bet you surprised yourself. I did. I mean, I'd, you get on the on dissent of Eagles, and it just... <laughs> you can't shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're going to start off with... We were talking about uh, how their dickishness. <laughs> we really were. Their dickishness and their their kind of hatred towards all people. And now we're going <laughs> Now we're going I know this show may be our worst ever, I can tell, but it's not supposed to because it's actually planned to be one of our best ever shows. <laughs> um, the one thing, and this is the witchy women part of the this is part three of why people, a lot of people dislike the Eagles. It's the witchy women part. And this has been an annoying part for a lot of people, which is at least 90%. And this is a true fact. At least 90% of Eagle songs are telling a woman, you think really cool, but you're not. And I'm going to explain why by making a bunch of points that certainly never occurred to you before because you're a woman. <laughs> so they're extremely go. misogynistic is what I'm <laughs> saying. Uh, and it's weird because a lot of times, like a lot of groups like the Stones or whatever, uh, objectify women and, and stuff like that. But in the case of the Eagles... There's, I don't know, especially with Henry, Henley and, and Glenn Fry, because they write the songs, 
there's there's simply like uh, so many insults that they give to women. It's uh, it's hard uh, for people to endure, especially women, of course. But even guys, you listen to it, it's like wow, they're just uh, they're just like giving it to you pretty good. <laughs> like they you're 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 lucky to maybe hang out with us and and sleep with us but other than that you shouldn't be around like because we're we're like really cool you don't measure yeah. up to us <laughs> now one of the great examples is lion eyes you can your lion eyes that song bugs the shit out of me and i'll tell you why the way it begins it says city girls seem to find out early how to open doors with just a smile. Yeah, see, girls are sluts, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Oh. It's like, excuse me, Glenn Fry, how the fuck do you open doors? <laughs> is it your brilliance? <laughs> or is it your good looks and your charm? Because it's the same way. Like, it's a, it's a double standard. It's a double standard that the Eagles are a good-looking band, and they, they are doing that. And yet the women uh, are, are are castigated in these songs from because the Eagles. Uh, this is really good. I started off with I hated the Eagles because their music sucks and your hatred's growing. But this this whole argument actually is multi-layered just like a lot of stuff we get into it has to deal with a lot more than just the surface there's a lot about the eagles that i found out i don't like <laughs> <laughs> you, you hate them now more than when you started the show <laughs> and the eagles are talking to you like that shitty boyfriend going into extreme detail about how they were utterly blameless and everything that happened in the breakup of your relationship and and you did everything wrong as the woman. Yeah, they're the good guys. <laughs> they're the good guys. They're good it's guys. like, why can't you be more like me, bitch? Uh, I don't understand. Um, and that's oh, that's it's just it's just terrible. And and if you think that I'm taking this uh, like I'm not, you know, taking this out of hand, look at the lyrics seriously of every album that they did in the seventies. I mean, they only did another album in the after that, which I'm going to get to very soon. But uh, I can't. I, the reason I can't, I can't remember it is the album's called I don't know, Out of Eden or or I, I don't know. It was the uh, the black one from '79. No, no, I'm talking about the album that they did uh, when they just got Eden. We wouldn't know a couple of years ago when uh, before Glenn Frey died, they did one album, one studio album, and then um, you're throwing me off. And they, punched, <laughs> and they punched each other. We're gonna get to that. I, I, it's the one thing I don't memorize is is Eagles albums. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I think there's a period of time when you're a little kid and you like everything that you hear on the radio and you don't really question it, and you assume it all deserves to be there and that it's being presented to you for some good reason, right? Like, oh, that's why they're playing this song on the radio. You know, it's, it's a good song, whatever. And there is a point where you begin to develop the rudiments of taste. And I started to discern things that I didn't like because you start to be more educated and you start to find out that, hey, I know what they're talking about in that song. And that's really yeah. crude. And that's not very nice. And, and it's... It, it, there's, you know, I would feel really bad when I would hear something like the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> the shine just on the shininess of it and not looking beneath the surface, just saying, oh, it's oh, too sappy, it's too this. And when a song like Don Henley's The End of the Innocence came on, I felt good because it had that real neat part and it had some neat lines in it. But underneath that surface is some, some stuff you don't want to hear. Uh... I've never listened to the surface. So I'm I know that's that's what I'm getting at is that if you know if you looked underneath it, you would kind of understand what I'm. I think some people have though. Now, the thing that has offended me so much was that there are people who, like, there's an artist who actually did the end of the innocence. No, well, used the end of the innocence as a cover song. 
and then decided to change the last lyric, guess what happened? Sue. Yep. What the Eagles are famous for, especially Don Henley, is just suing the crap out of poor people who don't, uh, you know, just can't defend themselves. They don't have a billion dollars. And <laughs> so this artist, like, was nice enough. He was actually an Eagles fan, decided to cover The End of the Innocence and decided to just change a little thing. And boom, the lawyers came in. That is a, a, a script written by the Eagles almost to have the lawyers come in. So you can't do that. I'm actually a little bit afraid something like this happen if this gets to the Eagles in all, in all seriousness. Like, oh, that's defamation what you're saying right now. And then I may, <laughs> I don't really care. I don't like to be sued, but I also don't, I also know that I don't have anything yeah. and I wouldn't defend it. And if they said, you know what, I said, well, I'm not even going to get a lawyer because I even can't afford a lawyer. So it's <laughs> like, if you want to sue me, then I'll talk to you one to one. <laughs> you know, and Don, me and you will talk one to one. I mean, there's such pricks. And essentially in suing you, they'd prove themselves right and uh, lose the case. So Yeah. I'm gonna, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm actually stating facts here. I, I wouldn't actually lose the case. I am stating facts and opinion. Opinion cannot be sued. Opinion cannot be sued, Don Henley. And if I said you something like Don Henley did this or did that and it didn't happen, I could be sued. But I'm not. I'm just stating my opinion and I'm quoting from lyrics. You can't sue me. And I'm not changing any of your songs because I would never cover one of your shitty fucking songs. <laughs> Dickweed. <laughs> <laughs> so as we get to the end of this, it comes to the point that there are some good things musically about this band. It, it doesn't do too much to me. When I was growing up, the Eagles were not a cool band. They became cool with Hotel California, no, but, but they were not a cool band. My friends didn't listen to them. Uh, they were actually, even when I, even in the late 70s, they were like my older brother's band or my, my parents' band or something like that. Or my uncle's band. They weren't like a 17-year-old or 16. Well, I was much younger than that. But, but you know what I mean? Like they weren't that type of band. They were an uncool band and they've been an uncool band. And they were, you know who they really went to was for the was the women. The women loved the Eagles with the ballads and everything. And then they kind of got their boyfriends going on. Now they're freaking huge or whatever. But I don't think they're nice guys. I think they might be now. I'm not, you know, they have wives and children and blah, blah, blah. And I know Glenn Fry's son is taking over from his dad in the band, which again, I just think is a money thing. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's like, oh my God, like Glenn Fry died and you still guys still want to tour. Well, what the fuck? Like that, that reeks of, of monetary gain right there. Maybe it's not. Hey, Don Henley, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying maybe. <laughs> and um, there, it's just, I just don't like these people as people. And the more evidence I come across, uh, both in lyrics and in things that I've heard or read, it's just like, wow. Like now I know that actually my tastes when I was a 12 year old were pretty good. Are you my not? instincts, I should say, as a 12 year old was pretty good. Like I didn't like this band when I was 12 and I didn't know anything, but there was something about this band that I did not like. Rob? Are you lumping Joe Walsh in with this Motley Crew? You know what? I'm not lumping Joe Walsh, but Joe you know Walsh what? Joe has always been cool. It's the, it's the Nazi effect of this also. Okay. Which is, if you're, and, and Don Felder also, who I also like very much, and who had big outs with Glenn Fry and Don Hanley, is that, yes, they're good guys, but if you're part of the machinery, you have to take <laughs> yeah. the criticism yeah. because of your silence, mm -hmm. just like Nazism. If you were silent and didn't do anything and you could have done something, then you're just as much to blame as the people who did it. You guys could have written some better music for him to play. But you didn't. Well, you tried. Oh, but they did. I mean, uh, Joe Walsh wrote some really good, a couple yeah. of really good songs for the Eagles. But I'm just saying that they're, the way they did things, and I know that they're not, I mean, they, 
it's tricky because Henley and Fry were the leaders and they made the decisions. So what are you, Joe Walsh or Don Felder, to go and say, no, that's wrong? I mean, yes, I understand that. But yes, I also understand that... Um, the Eagles are still the Eagles. Wrong is wrong. And maybe <laughs> if, if, if you don't... If you think it's wrong to charge uh, $250 for a really crappy seat, you should tell the guys and say, listen, I know we're making a lot of money, but money isn't everything. You don't, I, you don't take it with you. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that really separate, puts a, a division between the rock fans. <clears throat> what does? No, I'm just curious. What do you mean? Oh, um, uh, the, the guys would pay that kind of money and go see that kind of a show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, it, but that's that's something that we've talked about on this show many times is that rock was always the one unifying thing that anybody could pay to go to a C-Rock show. There was no, it wasn't, it doesn't matter if you were 40 or it doesn't matter if you were 18. If you got five bucks, you go see a show or 10 bucks. Our music's so valuable, we're going to keep the riffraff out. And yes, <laughs> and it's almost like, hey, you know what? We're going to charge an astronomical amount because we know that the older generation, I'm talking about the 40 and up, the middle-aged generation, will pay that. <laughs> we'll pay that. But you know what? You younger people, fuck you. And rock and roll was not at all based on that. Rock and roll was based on, it was based on the kid being allowed to watch yes. music in the first place. And... They may have come back with something like, yeah, but our audience is 40 plus. I said, bullshit. There's as many people, almost as many people as kids buying your stuff or, or listening to your stuff on Spotify as there are maybe as, as much as older people because kids listen to it. It's just that you're, you're, you're shutting them out. I'm sorry, but there are people listening to Paul McCartney who are 18, 19. I know many people who went to see Paul McCartney. I, I wasn't the one of the people who was able to get tickets in the two minutes that they, before, they, before they just sold out. Yeah, but There's I all know those Eagles fans. Yeah, <laughs> I know people who were twenty years old who went to that. Many people who were twenty years old who went to see Paul McCartney, and many people who were over forty and fifty. And I'm telling you, the Beatles attract just as many young people as they do old people. Just as the I feel, I know the Eagles do, and I know a lot of bands do. Led Zeppelin, you can name them, Pink Floyd. As you lose fans from age, you also gain fans from young. The so good this, bands do. The so good the good bands, bands do. do. Not all the bands. I'm not saying all the bands. And thank you for correcting me. But you are, as a big band, cutting down the young people from going to see the show, the bands, the young guys who are going to, to college and working and and still want to listen to a, a band like the Eagles, but I can't because, oh my God, that's like that's like four months of macaroni <laughs> I could buy with that money. Elitist rock and roll. Elitist rock and roll. I, I think the Eagles brought in elitist rock and roll. We're going to leave it at that. We've really kind of chopped them up big time. And didn't have too much good things to say. I will say a lot of people love their music. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't. I love two albums. I'm not going to say which ones they are because we might review them. I don't want to give anything away. Oh, I will give anyway. I don't like their early albums. I, I think they're boring as shit. And I think they're an, a deliberate... I think that they're a deliberate way to capitalize on the country rock that was made before them that didn't sell like Graham Parsons and bands like that. Well, I'm not going to get into that. I never heard any of those albums. I've only heard the last two. Yeah, well, may, I'm going to make you listen to all the Eagles and then, then you'll be sorry. <laughs> We're going to leave that. I don't, I, 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 in a way, I, I, I kind of feel sorry for them because I don't want to rag on a band for two shows. But it, they're, they're special. They're special. They're so special. <laughs> and uh, we're going to move on. Actually, we're going to we're, we're really doing good on time today. I think we are. Yeah, I think we're going to have an early show today. And that's not on purpose. It's just that uh, I actually did talk more about the Eagles last week on our show, last episode, than I thought I did. I didn't have much left over. So um, we could have done another segment on something. We could have made some stuff up. Yeah. We Eagles, stuff. they uh, do deals with aliens for technology. 
Anywho, yeah, I know people. It's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough having Rob as a co-host. He looked oh, for a long time. And <laughs> believe it or not, a lot of people rejected uh, it for worse wow. than me. It's, 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 <laughs> it's tough. I'm as much in pain as you are. And he's my friend. So, geez. <laughs> and it don't end. Oh. <laughs> so today, on our last episode of the Ladies of the Canyon, we review one of the biggest selling albums of all time and one of the first albums to define a certain time period in our culture just by being yeah just by just by existing, existing. yeah uh we'll get to that uh in a second uh it, it, it albums like albums is an art form you know only came into fruition around the time really when Sgt. Pepper's was released. But when you look back at it, it really started with, you know, Revolver and Pet Sounds in 66. But I think Sgt. Pepper really blew open the album being the thing, the huge thing. So yeah. we're only talking four years of the album being the thing. Being you know? an art form. Yeah, being an art form, where before it was just a place where you put a couple of your hit singles and then put padding all over it. Yeah, it was the packaging the record company decided you would have around your songs. Right. So that's why this is one of the first albums that just by being and selling a lot of records, it becomes such a huge part of everybody. It became part of culture. And which we have nowadays with, uh, not so much nowadays, but especially with the, all through the 70s, all through the 80s. I'm going to get that to you in just a second. You're probably, if you haven't tuned in earlier, you're probably wondering what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm talking about Carole King's 1971 album, Tapestry, which uh, if I would have done my better homework, I was sick. <laughs> I would tell you how many records it sold, but I don't know. It's like a trillion. <laughs> And it totally brought along this whole vibe of the Earth Mother and the women. The natural non-makeup wearing. Um... Yes. What a great photograph for the album because it's not a great photograph per se. Well, it is. It's a good photograph. But we were talking and many times on this show, and it's a big thing for me, for the photo on the album or the album cover to display what the album is about in however to way you do it, it somehow yeah. yes and this did it brilliantly because it was just a simple picture of carol king at home relaxing in her jeans uh no socks her cat there no bra just it was up. just hang and that totally encapsulated this record you know just the earth mother thing that i was talking about this is how my sister looked in the mid seventies, because of, either because of this or because of the culture, that's exactly how my sister looked yeah. in seventy five and seventy six. I remember when I realized that we uh, we could only have a longer hair as guys because of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, blew me away. <laughs> I mean, uh, it just totally like when a when a record album captures the album, uh, the music inside, then that's a totally iconic picture even though it may be just a not much of a picture if you see it alone and that is the brilliance that's another reason why this album sold so much yeah is because that exactly it, gives kind of a warm morning coffee feel yes you're so <laughs> correct that that speaks ten thousand words that cover it really does yeah. and albums like tapestry would soon become a yearly thing. At, at first, Tapestry may be Bridge on the Over Troubled Water the year before by Simon Garfunkel. Uh, but when I was starting to get into music, Bridge Over Troubled Water was a big album. I, I didn't really experience it. Um, but Tapestry, even six years later, when I started to really get into music in, in 1977 and really started to seep it in, Tapestry was still huge. And it was still part of the culture of this is what women are like in the 70s. It's almost, yeah, it's almost, almost distillates what you're supposed to be as a woman in the 70s, how you're supposed to look, how feminism looks, all of this in just the record album. Yeah, and it's also, to me, it's kind of saying uh, you don't have to look like you used to. You don't have to be like you used to. It's kind of, 
you can relax a bit. Yeah, more. you can relax a bit. You can sit at home and make your album or, or do your work as whatever you do at home. It, it, it just spoke to so many women and men. The music spoke to the men, I think, and uh, almost every woman, I think, had this album. Seriously, almost every woman on the planet or in, you know, in, in Europe and North America had this album. And albums like, like I said, Tapestry would, would, would become a yearly thing. We would get Franklin Comes Alive. It would become part of the culture for a whole year. Uh, Hotel California. Or Meatloaf, uh, Bad Out of Hell. Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell in 1978. Rumors in 77 would become part of the culture for a whole year. Yeah, I mean, it's still part of the culture. You say Hotel California, people know what you're talking about. Everybody knows what you can go to Japan. You say Hotel California. Oh, the Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or rumors or Frank that comes alive. Saturday Night Fever uh, reignited or made disco even bigger than it was before and brought everybody back to the discos who may have been waning. It was just a culture force. Albums were becoming what we became as a culture. And it really started not with Sgt. Pepper's because we didn't know about how to do that yet. But really, this album was, the, in, in my estimation, um, was the album that kind of kicked off that this is the album of the year. This is the album that is going to typify the culture. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Now, Dark Side of the Moon is funny because uh, Tapestry was the longest uh, yeah. album on the that's Billboard where charts. I first heard of Carol King. Right. Was, um, so did I. Listening to the radio, and uh, one guy would say, uh, they mentioned, you know, it's been 10 years, Dark Side of the Moon is still on the charts, longest album ever to be on the charts. And the guy would say, oh, so it's uh, probably the top selling album. And the other guy would say, no, top selling album is Carol King's Tapestry. And at the time, I was like, who? <laughs> <laughs> the hell are you talking about? I was... I've seen old 50s and 60s songbooks, like uh, piano and guitar, songs made easy. And sometimes when they were arranged by writers, there was like a section with Goff and King. And I, I heard a bunch of those songs. These guys are probably pretty good songwriters. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're right. Uh, I think that was one of the things that was brought up when um, I first started hearing about Tapestry in, in the late 70s. But also, the album was still played a lot. Yes. It, uh... I heard Before I heard this album for the first time, I have to admit that even though you know how many records people that I've listened to, I had heard so many songs on the radio, I've never bothered to listen to this album until last <laughs> week. It's just that I've heard half, of this, literally half of this album. So uh, it was an experience for me to listen to for the first time. And yeah, this stuff was played all the time in the late, at least in the late 70s, up until now. Maybe not as now. I don't think it has as, it doesn't have the reputation that the other albums have. For some reason, it, it aged well in the 70s, but after the 70s, this album didn't it disappear. It kind of. kind of disappeared from our public consciousness. And it's really weird because, like I said, you can see Frampton Comes Alive and everybody goes, oh, yeah, Frampton Comes Alive. Yeah, you go Brazil or everywhere. All these albums that I mentioned and more uh, that I don't have to mention. But for Tapestry, you say Carol King Tapestry and, some, you know, I bet you in a lot of countries people will go, I don't know. And yet this is one of the greatest selling albums of all time. It seems like all these albums were bought in the 70s. And then when things changed, that Earth Mother type of thing was kind of didn't exist anymore. In the 80s, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah the, the more the... Uh, and it has not had a... And this... I picked, the, I picked this album because it is the 50th anniversary this year of this album which I thought should have been commemorated because it is such a huge album. <laughs> but I am surprised that it it's still a big album. Of course, you never lose that enigma when you cause it, right? It's always around you, but it's not, it's not as big an enigma as you think it would have been when you were living in the 70s where tapestry was almost what everybody had in their lips during the 70s. It really was. It was what we would, they call the water cooler talk, like everybody had an album. And I was mentioning, before I got off the topic, what album was I mentioning, Gary? I don't know. What was I talking about? I was well, talking about... Peppers was measured. But, uh, the, no, I was just different. talking about... Um, uh, I was just talking about something, and then I got off track with talking about what we were just talking about. And now I'm really mad that uh, the point is not coming back. Uh, it's not. It's, it's not. It's going to be about back. two, three minutes before it comes back. 
and this was also one of the one of the one of the first and it came to be uh by a lady more known for her new york city roots from the 60s but then she became known as this laurel canyon girl she had like two identities yeah but well, that all changed with this one album all of a sudden she was a new york girl she releases tapestry and she becomes a california laurel canyon <laughs> girl and it's interesting because we're going to get into the history a little bit of the album because it is interesting uh as rob mentioned with the golf and king uh, thing i think i don't know what people thought back then as far as the history is i only know the history but i would imagine that people knew of carol king as a songwriter very well i think i don't know i'm well, talking about songs. the 60s when she wasn't a performer <clears throat> she was writing with her husband uh jerry goffin and uh i'm going to tell you some of the songs she wrote even you know if i have to if i have to do it a few people are like that um <laughs> yeah if you people are like that then i have to do it uh, she started writing very young, like as a teenager she at did. the Brill Building. The thing that, that freaked me out, um, um, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, I'd heard. So I looked up who did that. Uh, and that was in uh, 1960, The Shirelles. Yeah, that's right. The Shirelles had a number one hit with uh, Will You Love Me Tomorrow. Uh, the first number one hit by a black girl group. That's pretty, pretty fabulous. I just love that song. Uh, these are some of the songs that were written by Carole King and Jerry Goffin during the 60s when all they did was write songs. They weren't, they weren't real. They did the demos, but they weren't, they weren't performers. performers. They weren't performers. doing shows anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Chains by the Beatles. Again, I don't know about these chains. Uh, the Locomotion. Uh, everybody knows that one. Uh, keep your hands off my baby. It might as well rain until September. <laughs> Uh, actually, Carol King did record that in 1962 just as a single, her first hit. But uh, and then uh, other ones, "Up on the Roof," holy smokes, "Up on the Roof" is such a fantastic song. Uh, by the Drifters, uh, "One Fine Day" by the Chiffons. She wrote great songs for the Monkees. I love "Pleasant Valley Sunday." Um, of course. Uh, you Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman by Aretha, Aretha. Franklin, 1967. You don't, you don't even have to say Aretha Franklin. You know who did it. Um, she also wrote... Did they do California Dreaming? No. Okay. John Phillips, yeah. Uh, the duo who... Also the duo who wrote several songs for Dusty Springfield. One of them, one of my favorite songs. It's going to be on my greatest songs of all time. Going Back. A lot of people don't know Going Back, Done by the Birds. Just an absolutely beautiful song. Um, what happened was Goffin and King got divorced in 1968 and she wanted to start anew. She wanted to just, you know, I, Break I'm still away young. Break songwriting I'm, partnership. Yeah, exactly. I'm really reinvent young. Reinvent yourself. I'm really young. I, you know, I started when I was like 18 writing songs. So I'm only like in my late 20s and I got my whole life ahead of me. So she moved to Laurel Canyon in Los Angeles in 1968 with her two daughters and recorded for a band called The City. They made one album. It's a really good album. Um, it had uh, Charles Larkey, who became her future husband on bass, uh, the famous session musician Danny Korchmar, or everybody knows him as Cooch. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and King on piano and vocals. And they made a really good album that nobody bought called Now That Everything's Been Said in 1968. And then they disbanded, but that, that was the seed of, you know, I can stay here. Now I know musicians. Now I know people. I'm staying here. She made uh, her album before Tapestry called Writer, which did okay. Went to number 84 on the charts. And then she went to work in 19, late 1970 on Tapestry. And uh, that's why there's the big Laurel Canyon connection. People think Carol King... Uh, there's half the people who think Carol King, Brill Building, 1960s, <laughs> New York girl, New York Jewish girl, that all the way. And there's some people that say Earth Mother, California girl. <laughs> and neither of them are wrong. They're, they're both right. Um, depends on how you look at it. So we, got, we get then to the album, which is a uh, very bare-boned kind of uh, record. Uh, 
there's not a heck of a lot to say about how it was recorded. There's not a lot of backstory other than she just wrote a bunch of songs, 10 songs. Two of them uh, she redid. I think at least two. I know she did at least yeah. two. Yeah, the Aretha Franklin and the Charles one. Then. Yeah, and I think there's a, a couple more. A couple that were written by, yeah, Smackwater Jack was, uh, uh, I don't know if that was an older song, but she wasn't writing with Jerry Goffin, so you would think that's an older song. Anyways, yeah, there's not much to say about the album as... Um, you know how it was recorded or anything. I was going to mention Dark Side of the Moon. That's what I was Dark getting Side of at. The moon. I was going to mention that the reason you don't think, uh, remember where I stopped with Carol King, but I want to get this point because it, it, people were probably listening before and saying, he was going to mention Dark Side of the Moon and what I was about. Then he went off and then he forgot. Idiot. <laughs> uh, Dark Side of the Moon is not one of those albums that I would, that I would put as. The other albums like Frampton Comes Alive and such, just because it was a slow burning album. It was a Rob. That's why I have you here, it not was, for the first part of the show. It, <laughs> for it the was second part. Seven hundred and twenty-four weeks on the charts yes. without being the best-selling album. Exactly, that says something. About it was not one of those albums that sold ten million copies in nineteen seventy-three. No, it was hippies telling other hippies. It was an album <laughs> you're so right, it was or spacers telling other spacers, man. It was an album that has seriously and I'm not well, I am bending this a little bit, but has one of those albums that have sold like a million copies every year. And they still say that to this day, uh Pink Floyd sells so many albums a year. Dark Side of the Moon. Every year since it released. So it was exactly what Rob said. It was a slow burning album. Not that it didn't get people buying it at the time, but they just didn't buy it in huge droves yeah. and then it went away. It didn't become a fad or a right. fashion. It was something that everybody bought. And sometimes they wore out their copy and bought another one two years later it's or like, a year later. Yes, I've had about two or three copies of Dark Side <laughs> of the Moon. I've had cassette tapes that have been eaten and uh, loaned out one copy to a friend and... So yeah. So if you're wondering why I didn't put Dark Side of the Moon on there, is that it was not one of those smash through the roof albums. It was a smash through the roof album critically, but it sold as a slow burn, and I love that expression because it did consistent and consistent million copies every year, and then it would stop, and then the next year the same thing, and that's why it lasted. I remember everybody thinking, when is this going to go off the charts? Yeah. You have to realize. Because after people, 10 years, it was still on the charts. That, I yeah. I mean, I don't even know when it went off. 1987, something like that, 14 years later. I don't have the exact date. But you have to realize how hard it is to get your album in the Billboard Top 200 for one week. The Velvet Underground, one of my favorite bands ever. Uh, Lou Reed's Velvet Underground released four studio albums in their existence. Not one of them ever made the top 200, not even for a week. <laughs> wow. and, yet, and yet they're all considered classics, like classics of all time, not just, not just for their band, but classics, they all make the top 100 list. And yet this album by Pink Floyd stayed on the top 200 list for like 14, 15 years. <laughs> That's mind boggling because that means that album is being bought every week like not a couple of copies yeah. but enough to get on the charts every week for 15 years that's why it's a slow burn and that's why it's become such an icon do you know who's second uh, to uh, pink floyd for most weeks on the chart sound of music nope carol king tapestry really yes wow you, you've <laughs> upped me you have upped me sir right live on our show <laughs> well, that's we'll talk about this time. when this is over. That's the second time uh, that's happened in all the shows yeah, we've done. Remember, we have a meeting right after the show. I want to talk to you about something. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're going to get to the album. Like I said, there's it's a very grounded, down-to-earth album. There's not much to talk about in terms of production, or there's not much of a story behind it. It's just she went in with, with you know, uh, the studio musicians in, in L.A. and recorded the album, and... Uh, 
a simple, sincere... You don't get any signs of dishonesty. It is album. one of those simple, sincere albums that turns in to be huge. It really yep. does. It mm. almost sounds like a homemade album recorded on a four-track with your friends. And all of a sudden, oh, it's selling like... Five million copies this year. <laughs> I, know, I didn't know. Like, it really does. People must really, really like this. <laughs> now we're going to talk about the album. Um, I'm going to surprise a few people with this. But first of all, I've heard, like we said, I've heard of half these albums. I remember hearing I Feel the Earth Move like in the late 70s all the time. So far away. Uh, you've got a friend, of course. Uh Will you love me tomorrow? Not this version, but you know the the was it the Shirelles or the Chiffons? I forget. Shirelles. The Shirelles version, which I heard all the time, and of course, you make me feel like a natural woman. And so half of this album, there's twelve songs. I said ten. There's twelve songs on this album. I heard at least six of them all the time. Um, <clears throat> which, to be honest with you, I wish I wish I would have heard this album fresh when it was out instead of hearing all the singles and all the other versions. Because like we said before, when we were reviewing some of the albums we have, it does change your view when you hear it out for the first time yes. when you've heard the half the songs so many yeah. on the radio. Um, there's not a duffer on here, except for Ida. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of Smackwater Jack. Smackwater Jack on the side too is is the only sound, song that sounds like a, 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 a filler. And I liked that one. I, was, I, was well, I liked it, but I just didn't think it seemed, it just didn't seem to fit. You know how you like a song, but it still doesn't seem to fit. Didn't seem to fit with the scope of the album. And it, it uh, but some people have. Some people have called it filler and some people think it fits very well on the album. So that that was the only song that I thought was kind of a duffer compared to the other ones. Um, this was one. Of, this was the hardest album <laughs> I ever had to listen to, because because I was sick. I had we had two weeks with this oh, album. Oh, you never want to listen while you're sick. And I didn't really listen to it for the first, well, last week because I was sick. Remember, Rob? so and we had to cancel the taping. But I did get I did get a lot of listens to it, and. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> it has a bridge over troubled water thing to me where I know the songs are great, but it's not moving me the way I think it should. And I don't know why I've heard I've I, this album is very familiar to me as far as I've heard six of these songs and a couple of these songs are just earth shattering. I'll tell you right now, it's uh, so far away. Even when I heard it in the late seventies was, it's just a killer song. Um, just a beautifully written song, beautifully sung song. This album reminds me, when I was listening to it, I want to see if Rob agrees, but this album sounds very similar to an album released only a couple of years, a couple of years, a couple of weeks from this album, which was Janis Joplin's Pearl. And when I was listening to this, every time I listened to it in the last couple of weeks, I was saying, this sounds a lot like Pearl. It, it has that very well structured thing but even though we loved pearl we we thought that it was maybe a little bit too much perfect and not enough janice's freelance and i just thought the album in general sounded a lot like pearl and i also feel that it's a little bit too songwriter like like a little bit too perfect yeah i remember jj kale's album was a very simple bare bones uh didn't have a lot of extra well, we never reviewed a J.J. Kale album, so I'm wondering <laughs> what you are talking about. Um, what was it? Naturally. Uh, just pointing out. Is, oh, uh, that album. Okay, for J.J. Uh, Kale. I'm sorry. I thought you meant that album that we reviewed with J.J. Kale. We didn't review it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go I ahead. Have memories, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that reminds me. It reminds me of kind of in that kind of vein of just the simple version of the songs. And uh, mm -hmm. it definitely it gives me the impression that she's definitely a songwriter. Yes. First. That, that was a point that never got away from me was that there needed to be, um, in my personal view as a, as a music lover and, and connoisseur of this, you know, dedicating my life to it, it's having everything perfect in every song like a songwriter does um, wasn't my cup of tea uh, for 12 songs. But there was things like So Far Away, like I mentioned, 
I love her version of You Got a Friend. And I, I, have to t I have to admit, I've never really warmed to this song. When James Taylor did it, I always just thought that he sung it like, I don't know, like he was half asleep. <laughs> and it's, but I don't know, there's something, I like her version a lot better than James Taylor. And I like that there's a bridge three and a half minutes into the song already. <laughs> you know, we've already heard a very long uh, verse and a very long chorus and then another very long verse, another very long. You think the song is winding down and then it goes into a bridge. That I liked because it was very, it always catches me a little off guard as being strange that a bridge would come along so late in a song. And I do like her version uh, of You Got a Friend. It really, it really got to me like James Taylor's has never really done. Uh, I think Will You Love, to Love Me Tomorrow has always been one of my favorite songs. And there's nothing more brilliant than to slow that song down because it's a very sad song. And, and uh, well, it's a very questioning song because it's not an upbeat song is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like this this young girl, probably a virgin. Uncertainty is never upbeat. No, no. <laughs> and it, like I said, this young girl, probably a virgin who slept with a guy and now she's wondering, do you or do you really love me, or did you just sleep with me? Mm. And it's a very and it's funny because this is like a 1961 song, and it became a number one hit. And but all that's hidden, of course, that's never said. But you you know that that's what's going on. Like, um, and then when it's done slowly, it becomes it doesn't become the upbeat. Thinking, oh, will you love me tomorrow? And blah, blah, hey, blah. That, yeah, hey, baby. It becomes, seriously, like, do you love me? Or did you just want to take advantage There's of There's a bit more of the emotion. There's a, a lot yeah. more of the emotion yeah. in this song. And it got to me. Uh, even if you took it up from a guy's point of view. Because sometimes you don't know if a girl's just having a good time and wants to take you seriously and... and doesn't yeah and then you'll yeah. find out like her husband would be real mad if he found out god i hate that <laughs> all those things so that that i thought was great i actually loved uh her version of you make me feel like a natural woman because it was different than aretha's aretha's version of natural woman was almost a power statement uh saying ah you know very strong this yep. was almost this was almost like a tender version to the guy it's a tenderer version you know what i mean like you know, this is great. We're, we're sleeping here in the same bed in the morning and you make me feel so good. And it's just so nice. Yeah. Where Aretha's version is much more, and both versions are knockouts. I'm not knocking either one. I'm just saying that if you think they're the same version, they're not. Because Aretha's version is more like standing on a mountain saying, oh my God, I finally found love. This is, you make me feel like yeah, a natural kind of like almost, um, uh, a declaration. Different emotions. Yes. Uh, different emotions from the two different songs. And that's what I like, because I think it was a conscious effort on both those songs by Carol to put different emotions on the songs, not to try to do just a copy or, or even an inkling of the other song, but but to make both those songs her own. And to do that is much more difficult than you think it is. When especially with two songs that are ingrained in people's memories. Yeah, I mean that did, we'd all heard those versions quite a bit uh, more than the, the the Carol King version. Yeah, but I found this album, although I liked it. There's like I said, only one song that I just didn't think was up to the other songs, which were uh, really good songs. I just listened. It just didn't. It didn't hit me like other people. Like other people, it has hit other people. It just really didn't. And I really tried. I re just like the just yeah. like the Simon and Garfunkel album, I gave it five stars, and I still would the Simon and Garfunkel Bridge Over Troubled Water because there's nothing wrong with it. It just didn't hit me on the emotional level that that I wanted it to. This album, I said no, I can't give this five stars because. I, I can pinpoint. I can't still can't pinpoint the problems. Yeah, <laughs> bridge just, over trouble water. There there's nothing wrong with that album. Uh, so I cannot give it less than five. But this I could pick out. What I didn't personally like about it was it was a little bit too managed, a little bit too precise. Uh, there wasn't enough emotion like there was in like in songs like Will You Love Me Tomorrow and Natural Woman and So Far Away, which there it seemed to be. In reserve, it seemed to be like you can't get too excited because we want to make a we want to make it palpable, 
And I don't like that palpable. <laughs> I don't like that word in, in rock music. Of course, this isn't really rock music. It's, it's more singer, songwriter, pop yeah, music. I, but you know what I'm getting at. <laughs> it's a little bit too constructed, which is was, was our, both of our griefs against Pearl when we reviewed it was that, man, this is a great album, but I wish they would have let a little bit more of the slickness go and let Janice have a little bit more... Uh, of her own rawness to it. They tried to this I feel exactly the same way. I give it four stars out of five. I know everybody gives it five. I can't. Uh, I but it's so strong. I cannot give it less than four. It'd be ridiculous to give it less yeah. than four stars. And I did agonize over this album more than I have anyone because from first listen to the last time I listened to it, I just I just felt the same way. It never it never wavered. And I was surprised, I thought this album, because I have liked all the songs I have heard on the radio over the last, well, since the 70s. But when I heard it, I, I thought that, oh, this will be the album that people have been talking about for 50 years now. And it just was like, mm, actually, it's kind of an excellent album that I might not listen to very much. <laughs> I fell in love with this album when I first heard it. I, I got it out of the... Oh, it's probably the '90s. Sometime I finally got a hold of a copy. And oh, you had you've you've had tabs before. I've heard this one. Yes, I did. I mentioned it, I think on a previous show. The only uh, two bits of music I've ever been curious to pursue uh, to find out about without ever hearing them on the radio was it was the Sex Pistols and Bob Marley. But mm -hmm. Carol King was another one. That's uh, I'd never actually heard her songs knowingly. Right. Before hearing this album, but you uh, heard this album when I heard. Oh, this album, like before I, you heard her album. Yeah. yeah, when I got this album and heard it, and finally uh, for the first time, uh, yeah, I, I love this album. Um, over the week, I was uh, kind of bored. I was looking back over, uh, you know, after listening a few hours later. I was, okay, what album do I want to listen to now? And look at my other Spotify ones. I look at through all of them, and uh, I want to listen to this one again. <laughs> really, we kind of love this. Album. This is one of the rare times that we really disagree, and we're not disagreeing as like I hate this album, he loves it, but uh, we're disagreeing, which we almost we rarely do. But we did not hear this album the same I, way because I, I was very emotionally stifled album. by this album, and you were not. No, I love this album. I did one of my favorite songs on it uh, is "Beautiful." Love yeah. that song. Um, the, I should have uh, mentioned that. it is a great. I, I, you know, when I say. If you take every one of these songs and listen to them separately, wow, <laughs> yeah. they are really a wow factor. I had trouble with it in a 12-song sequence. And I don't know why. Too don't much have, of get the me same, explained. perhaps. Too much, yeah, of, too the much of the yeah, same. You love uh, this particular food, but you can't have like uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's why I said I really wish I would have heard this album when it came out and... You know, there are some albums you just wish you hadn't heard so much on the radio before you heard it on, on a record because you'll never get to experience how people first heard it. I could I could actually have been blown away by this album in like 1977 when I first first heard, if I had just heard one song and says, oh, my, or if I would have took up my sister's copy and played it, oh, I would have loved to have known how I felt about that album, not hearing any of the yeah. music before. But I can't. I can't you do can't that. I will never past. be able to do that because of what, you know, it being so part of the culture, you get to experience half of these songs already. And I'm really glad that you get that, what other people get out of it. Yeah. I wish I could. I actually wish I could. I just can't. I just can't get above that four-star I level. listen to it. And like I said, I just love her. At the time, I, you know, I... I'd listened to a lot of like Carly Simon and um, uh, Joni Mitchell and um, uh, there were that, but uh, Carol King just suddenly first listening to the album is she's right up there, and then in finding out more about her, like uh, realizing she was the king in that golf and king relationship yeah. that I knew of, <laughs> and all those songs <laughs> yeah. that she had written. Hey, these guys are good. Yeah. Like, uh, and that was, and she wrote the music. Like he wrote the the lyrics. Some of the lyrics are incredible. Like the lyrics for. You make me feel like a natural woman, and will you love me tomorrow? Which are Goffin King songs, are amazing. Like if you looked at the lyrics of "You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman" from the start to beginning, it's like holy fuck! It's not poetry, no, but it's like it's more emotional. The, the plain, simple English you can understand yes. what's being related much better. 
Yes, that's why it's so funny that I can talk about all these songs separately and go, oh, this one is just. But then it's. <laughs> as an it's, album, it does. But as an yours, album, yeah. it just. it. And I swear, I, I, I gave it a, a real. I, I agonized. I really did agonize over this album. Well, about how can I Don't be. Don't you hate that? <laughs> how can I be the only one that I know of? And and then you look at the and then you look at all the ratings of it, and it's six all stars five out stars. Of five. Yeah, Seven yeah, stars yeah. Out of five. It's all five stars, and maybe even six by some kook. And all these newspapers from before and today, when they do retrospectives, and I'm going, I'm sorry, I just think it's a four star. <laughs> Listen, I'm the one who loses on this. If you're a Carol King How fan, dare you have your own tastes? Exactly. Like I'm the one who loses because I just don't get it. I, I, I really like the album. It's excellent. It's not the album that it is for people like Rob mm. and so many millions of people. I wish it was, but I can't wish it. You ha either happens or it doesn't. Yeah. Well, like I say, the first time I heard Carol King, I list was listening to this album. Hope start and I'm not knocking Carol King so. at all because I love Carol King. I love what she's done. I love how mm. she became such an artist in such a male-dominated world. Um, and I love her songs and uh, it just, it just is not the, the once in a lifetime album that I wish it was for me. I'm the loser here, people. <laughs> I'm the one losing out on this. Rob's gaining big time because he's getting the emotional factor that I am not. And I feel left out. <laughs> I love it. Every time I listen to it, uh, I feel good and nothing's ever changed. What a great album, uh, to end our I mean, we had to, we could have ended, we could have ended our Ladies of the Canyon theme with any of these three records and it, it would have been great. But I just, now that we've done it, I'm so happy we ended with Tapestry. It was, it was just such a, the start of, and Blue will also, this is the 50th anniversary of Blue this year. I was also wondering why Blue just knocks me to smithereens every time I listen to it, but Tapestry doesn't. Like that was going through my head many times too, but it's two different people. You can't, don't ever, people, it's the only thing we, don't compare two artists or two albums. Don't. <laughs> I said that last week when we were reviewing, and I try and say it as much, is like, you can compare albums by the same artist as how they've grown or whatever, but don't say, yeah, but it's not Johnny Mitchell's Blue. Fuck off. That's not... There, everybody's different. Everybody writes different. It's how you feel about that album by that artist at the time you're listening to it. And I've been blown away. I've listened to all these albums except for Tapestry before. And I really am more glad that we did this even than I thought we would be this theme. And I'm really happy we closed with Tapestry. It just feels right to close with Tapestry. It just does. It does. It's one of the... Uh... The, the, the big albums of the 70s. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's when I first heard about the diamond rating uh, in the, uh, in the yeah, States. Yeah, exactly. I think that came in. because a million copies. Yeah. It was the album that brought in the the blockbuster album. It really was. Yeah, because you know? uh, Sgt. Pepper's, Zeppelin Four, Dark Side of the Moon, this one. And let's, let's point out here that the album that brought in the blockbuster album was by a woman, okay? Like everybody says about how women are doing great now. And I know people are going to say, oh, yeah, but but I think that's great that a woman in such a male-dominated society in 1971 would have such a landmark album and change things. It was a woman. And there was probably like 10% who were taken seriously in the music business at that point. So... Um, I love women singers. I've never, I love women singers. I love women songwriters. I've never understood the bias, especially when we grew up towards them. Never understood it. I think they make just as good as music as, as guys do. Uh, I don't understand it. Like they had that thing, Rob, about you can't play two women like right one after another. They used to have that rule in radio. And I said, that's fucked. <laughs> I could listen to women all day. Like what, like that's, that's stupid. There was, you know what? It's funny when you grow up at a certain time, you're right in the middle as things are changing. Like we were, yeah. where you're going from a male dominated society, but then it's, it's, it's also being more equal and we're right in the middle. And we look at the people who are 
being prejudiced against women and we're kind of like going what are wrong with you people these are great songs or these are great films that they're making or whatever they're when, doing when did you guys establish these rules yeah why why did you put these stupid rules in place anyways that, you know of course they have a different point of view because they're women but they can be just as good as the men if not better at it it's because they have a different point of view that men cannot uh, come across i'm really happy we did weird, this theme weird time it was a weird time. Love this theme. We will, of course, I always make it a, a priority to have as many women artists from the 70s, you know, as an equal balance, not as an equal balance, because there weren't as many, of course, women album, women's albums in the 70s. But I always want to have uh, any chance I get to put uh, female artists on here, uh, just like with, don't like to uh, denigrate any uh, music form. I want to put them all on here. Uh, we do not prejudice here against anything. If we, if you think we do, tell us about a form of music we should have because I'd like to know because we'll play it uh, as a theme. <laughs> we got a great one coming up in two weeks. I'm really or excited. One week for us. Really, yes, <laughs> next week for us. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. It's a four-week theme, so we've got four albums to look at. I've been waiting to do this one uh, for about a year and a half. And it's funny, I have themes, and I know we're way over time. I always say we're going to be under time, and then we're over time. <laughs> we're only five minutes over. Yeah, we're five minutes over. But I just want to say, I already have for the rest of the year the themes picked out. And that's just off the top of my head. So I got enough themes for at least the next couple of years. So, so if you were worried, stop it. <laughs> no, you don't even have to write in it. If you want to write in a theme, feel free. We'll, we'll use it. But... I got enough themes, seriously, probably for the next two, three years. <laughs> but if you got a really cool theme that you just thought of, uh, send me a, a, an email at soundsfromthe70s at gmail.com. And that's our show for today. Again, we will not be on next week. But we will have a new show in two weeks, which is 14 days. <laughs> <laughs> so don't forget... Or Rob will stay at your house for one whole week and eat all your food and never flush the toilet. Well, I won't eat the vegetables. You can eat those. Yeah, I think they'd be more worried about you never flushing the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Flushing is overrated. Just pour some water in there. He feels that it's a waste of water. Anyways. (laughs) So until then, everybody, please take care and stay safe. Just later on.